As you know, we've looked at many facets of parenting so far in this study, and tonight we're going to look at building a strong foundation for our families. Um, we've, come to, we've come to Chapter 9 in Charles Swindoll's book, Parenting from Surviving to Thriving, which is called Increasing the Priority of Your Family. And in this chapter, Swindoll takes Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 and shows us that they're like a picture for a healthy home. So I'm going to share on Psalm 127, and then Kathy's going to share on Psalm 128. Our homes, our marriages, and our families are under attack in our culture in a very intense way, to the point that the very definition of marriage has been undermined and redefined. The enemy is out to destroy our kids and dismantle our families. And as believers, we need to stand firm in our faith and put on the full armor of God and fight for our families. The family is God's way of passing on <clears throat> who he is to the next generation. It says in Deuteronomy 6 that we're to teach our children what God's word says. And Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. No wonder Satan wants to destroy the family. One commentary that I read said that family is the most important element of society. And it's so true. If the family is broken down, the breakdown of society will follow. Swindoll says on page 189 in his book, a strong family provides safety, provision, and companionship, as well as a sense of identity and belonging. So let's turn to Psalm 127. This Psalm gives us the blueprint of how to build a healthy home. And then Psalm 128 is the result of that blessing or following that blueprint. They really go together. And Swindoll says on page 184 that Psalm 127 and 128 contemplate the Lord's relationship with the family and how important a healthy, godly family is to the prosperity of the nation. So a healthy family blesses its members, but it also blesses society as well. And then as we look at this, I will be using the word house or home and family interchangeably. Swindoll says on page 185 that to the ancient Hebrew, the term house meant more than a physical structure. A house represented the family and more significantly, the family's legacy, the prosperity and the social standing of future generations. Builders can construct a palatial house, but if the Lord isn't crafting the family inside, every square foot of that magnificent, magnificent structure is wasted space. So let's read Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And then the first thing to take note of is this term, unless the Lord. It's mentioned twice in one verse, further emphasizing its importance. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So God establishes right from the beginning that he is in control. He is the builder and he is the guardian of our families. It takes some of the pressure off, doesn't it, when we remember that? It's only with the Lord's strength can we build our homes and raise our kids in the right way. Without the Lord building our house, all of our labor, our work, our effort is in vain, as it says here. Unless the Lord builds the house or the family, it will be a total failure. And that reminds me of the parable, you guys know it, in Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about the wise man building his house on the rock, and that when the wind and the storms came, that house stood firm because its foundation was built on that rock. And then the foolish man is the contrast. He's the one that built his house on the, on the sand, and when the wind and storms came, it was destroyed. Swindoll says on page 185, it is futile to build a home or family using human effort alone, to give your family higher priority, you must keep the Lord in first place. 
Put the Lord at the center of your relationships and let your devotion to him permeate every segment of your home life. The Lord must have first priority over everything, including the house and the family. So that's the foundation that we're building off of, establishing that that God is the builder and he's the guardian protecting our homes. And then once that is in place, God can then bless our family. As we see in verse three, as children come along, they're a heritage or other versions might say a gift or inheritance from the Lord. And then ultimately, as the Psalm goes on, our kids grow up and they're described in verse four as arrows in the hands of a warrior, which is a picture of us as the parents, literally launching our kids out of our homes to whatever God has planned for them. And there's a ton of things you can pull from this chapter, but God put a couple of things on my heart. And I just wanna look at the two roles that God calls us to as parents. One is a laborer and one is a warrior. So let's look at the laborer first. In any building project, labor is required. In order to build something, it requires work, time, investment, sacrifice, and probably some blood, sweat, and tears. And that's really true of parenting too, isn't it? As we all know, being a mom is hard work, and it's definitely a labor of love involving long hours, long days that are emotionally and physically exhausting. That to-do list never ends. And uh, we found this thing, it's in your handout, um, but I'm just gonna read briefly some of it. It's called The Job Description of a Mother, and we thought it was pretty accurate. So it's a nanny, must be 100% flexible in every way, caring, able to instill discipline and have the patience of a saint. The ability to multitask is essential, must have a strong stomach. Teacher, must be able to help with multiple homework projects, deliver inspirational descriptions and explanations for mundane questions, must know everything and always have a good answer ready. Cook, must have the ability to cook at least three different meals at the same time, an understanding of what the child will not eat on any given day despite liking it before is essential, must not be offended if meals end up on the floor or walls or end up uneaten. Cleaner, a knowledge of how to remove every form of dirt is essential, must be physically fit, must have a strong back for picking everything up from the floor. Nurse, must be caring, a good listener, have first aid knowledge and excellent rubbing it all better skills. Referee, must have the ability to intervene in fights when necessary and always know who had what toy first. Skills at diverting issues before they snowball are required. Friend, must have the ability to lose inhibitions, play and be silly, sing silly songs and dress up. Taxi driver, driver's license is essential and the ability to be in at least three different places at once. Events coordinator, excellent organizational skills are essential, must be creative and have very good budgeting skills and great ideas. And there are definitely a ton more things that you could add to that list, but you get the idea. And then it goes on to say, I know there are days that you feel unappreciated and underpaid. By the way, did you know that if moms were paid a salary for all the work that they do, the annual salary would be $138,000? I don't know how they got that number, but I thought that was kind of amazing. Your little ones need you. You are shaping the future of our world. Please don't let it bother you when your child doesn't appreciate all you do for them right now. One day they will. And as we raise our kids, we are investing in their lives, and sometimes we see the fruit of those investments in the short term, but most of the time we won't see the fruit or the return on our investment until sometime in the future. Galatians 6.9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Whatever investment we make into our family now will bear fruit in the future generations, and ultimately we're storing up treasure in heaven as well. I love what Swindoll says on page 179, talking about family. These people are more important to you than anything else on earth. They deserve your time and devotion. They help you remain sensible, real, and accountable. The interaction you enjoy with your family strengthens your character so that you are better able to face a corrupt culture with integrity. And then obviously the most important investment we can make into our kids' lives is to live out our walk with God before them and with them, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, and then to pour his word into them every single chance that we get. 
1 Peter 1.25 says that the word of the Lord endures forever. So his word is what will have that eternal impact on our kids' lives. And then beyond that, I think that some other wise investments are praying with them, going to church regularly, looking for opportunities to serve together. And then I think this was a reminder for me. I think we need to remember that God desires to bless us as well. Life can't be all work and no play. Matthew 7:11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So have fun with your kids. Create fun memories as a family. What are the things that your kids are going to look back on in their childhood and treasure and laugh about? What are the traditions or experiences that your family will be known for? For my family, traveling has been a huge thing that we love to do together, and we've been blessed to go to some pretty incredible places and blow our kids' minds. But it can be anything, big or small. Kids don't care. You know, picnics, hiking, camping, playing games together, whatever it is, have fun and look for those opportunities to bless your kids. And know too, that there will never be enough time in the schedule or enough money in the bank account maybe. And one parable that I was reminded of when I was thinking through these things was the feeding of the 5,000. And it was 5,000 plus women and children. And this short story shows us that we're, the manu we're not the manufacturers, we're simply the distributors. And what a great picture for us as parents. I don't have 5,000 mouths to feed, but sometimes parenting feels like the needs of my family and kids are huge and I don't have the ability or even the wherewithal to meet them all. So I just give what little I have to Jesus, I place those needs, even those wants, those desires, those dreams, all of it in his hands and he's the one that multiplies it. He provides and he blesses. And then he does it exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think, as he says in Ephesians 3.20. I have watched God provide time and time again for my family when I take the time and the sacrifice to invest in them. And sometimes it's a step of faith. And that's a picture of who God is that my husband and I try to show to our kids um, and whatever time it takes us and whatever it costs us, it's always been worth it because it teaches us not to limit our God. We have a God who wants to bless his children, to perform miracles, to do the impossible. And I love to try to show my kids that. And I would just encourage you to embrace whatever season of parenting you're in and to redeem that time. I'm sort of coming to the end of the child rearing years for my older two. And it's just a reminder to me that whatever time we have with our kids or grandkids, um, they're gifts to us and we don't get to keep them with us forever. I wish we did. But like it says in Psalm 127, at some point they will become adults and leave that nest. That's God's design. And we need to redeem whatever time we have with them. One author I read said, our kids need us to be focused on Jesus all the way to graduation and into their adulthood. They need us to be involved, active, and engaged with Jesus and with them for the entire journey. We want to leave a godly legacy, a good heritage to pass down to our kids and grandkids. It's been said that a person's legacy lasts for generations to come, yet it's formed by what one lives day in and day out. As believers, we're called to raise our kids with a foundation for a godly heritage, one that will glorify Christ, Isaiah 43, 7 says that God created us for his glory. And how we do that is by being a godly parent. And contrary to popular belief, it's not our responsibility to raise godly kids. It's our responsibility to be godly parents. So I want to repeat that one more time. It's not our responsibility to raise godly kids. It's our responsibility to be godly parents. To be a godly parent we need to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Our relationship with God has got to come first, then our marriage, and then our kids. No other priority order will work. And that's an easy thing to say, and I think we all know that. But sometimes, in the busyness of life, those priorities can get blurred a little bit. The only way for me to leave a godly heritage for my kids is to stay close to Jesus and to reflect him in my life and then leave the rest to God. 
I like this Ruth Graham quote. She said, your job is to love your child. It's God's job to make him good. We have only 18 or so years to raise our kids. We can't possibly teach them everything there is to know, but God has the rest of their lives to teach them and grow them into who he wants to be. We're just simply providing that foundation for him to do so. And then I want to look at warriors now. And I think this is an interesting image that the psalmist chose um, to put before us. Warriors are engaged in warfare. They're called to defend and protect with strength and discipline. One, def one definition I read said, the call to be a warrior is the call to embrace long-term sacrifice. So after laboring and investing into our kids' lives, at some point, we need to release them. That's the picture we have here of a warrior intentionally pulling back his bow and shooting his arrow. And then the process can begin again with our kids, possibly getting married someday, having families of their own, and passing God on to that next generation. And I think it's fitting that we have this picture of the warrior before us, because as moms, raising our kids, we're in enemy territory. We need to be warriors. You might say then that the goal of the child-rearing years is to equip our kids to fly well once they're launched. And to do that requires the stamina of a warrior and a strong foundation to release our kids for both us as the parents, sometimes I think it's harder for us, and then our kids as they transition into adulthood. So how can we be these warriors for our kids? The Bible talks a lot about warfare, spiritual battles. Um, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. And then after we do that, after we dress for battle, it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit. We need to be prayer warriors for our kids. I know that I am here today largely because of the prayers of my mom. A lot of those prayers, I am sure, didn't get answered right away, maybe even years after she prayed them, but they continue to bear fruit in my life. The battle is fought on our knees in prayer, and our kids need us to be interceding for them. And it's something that we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives, no matter how old our kids get. We can't always protect our kids, but we can always pray for them and trust that God will be their protector. You don't have to be a parent very long to realize that you can't protect your kids from everything. There are too many things out of our control. And if God allows something difficult into our kids' lives, we need to pray for them and equip them to walk through it the best we can. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Kids need adversity to grow and mature and ultimately walk with God on their own. We've had a, a month in my house. My daughter got in a car accident. My son had his wisdom teeth taken out. And then last week, my son broke his ankle in a pretty major way, needs surgery, and is going to be on crutches for the next couple of months. And so the Lord is literally teaching me this um, right now. So this wasn't how we saw, especially for my son, the baseball season going or the end of his senior year. But my prayer is that God will teach them these powerful lessons during this time that they wouldn't have learned in any other way. And it reminds me of the butterfly. As a butterfly starts to emerge from its cocoon, it takes a while. We actually had caterpillars when my kids were little a few times, and we watched this whole process. It takes a lot of effort for the butterfly to get out of that chrysalis. And people are always tempted to try to cut the cocoon open and help that butterfly get out. But that's actually the worst thing that you can do because it needs that struggle of trying to get out to strengthen its wings. In fact, the butterfly will never be able to fly if you cut it loose and it doesn't have to go through that struggle. That's a lot like parenting, isn't it? So I'm reminded not to steal the struggle from my kids. We need to be patient and let God have his way with them so that they can eventually fly well when they're launched. Swindoll says on page 191, arrows in the hand of a skilled archer can feed and defend the household, but few things are more deadly than a misdirected arrow. 
The same can be said of confused, undisciplined, and misdirected children. Learning to guide a child requires concentration, diligence, a willingness to look foolish, plenty of practice, and patience, lots and lots of patience. And then lastly, I just want to briefly look at Psalm 127.3. Children are a gift from the Lord. My kids are the most amazing blessings in my life, and I would do anything for them. Swindoll says on page 189, as children come, each is to be treasured as God's gift and given priority over our vocation or personal fulfillment. Each child is a special gift from God, an asset that will enrich a house and bring it honor. But with that, I need to remember that my kids belong to him. They're gifts from God that I need to let go someday. So keep an open hand with your kids all the way through the journey of raising them. Being a mom is something that you do. It's a calling on your life. It's not who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. That is who you are. And I think as moms, we struggle sometimes with separating the role of motherhood from our identity. All of this building, investing, protecting, raising our kids for so many years, we pour ourselves into it. We're all in on this mom thing, but we need to be careful because the tighter we hold on to them, the harder it will be to release them someday. And that's why keeping those priorities in order is so important. Again, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with our husband, and then our kids. And I think there are two big traps that we can fall into here. One is being too busy that we neglect our homes because we're focusing on our jobs or ministry or lots of other things, even good things sometimes. And we get caught up in the busyness of life, the schedule, etc. Swindoll talks a lot about this in this chapter. And then the other trap is that we put everything in our lives outside of a mom, outside of being a mom on hold until our kids are grown, focusing almost exclusively on them without investing as much as we should in our relationship with the Lord, our husbands, or anything or anyone else. Both are wrong and show that our priorities are not correct. Matthew 10:37 says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And this seems kind of harsh, but Jesus knows that we, when he's in first place in our lives, all of the other relationships in our lives will be healthier because of it. Remember, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. It takes a lot of time and work to build a godly foundation for your home. It takes effort and sacrifice to form a godly heritage for your, for your family, relying on God's strength all the way, especially when we're called to release our kids from our homes. And we're going to see in Psalm 128 that this legacy that we're working so hard for is then passed down and will bear fruit in the generations to come. So, um, as Kristen said, um, we're in chapter 9, and Chuck Swindle goes from Psalm 127 to Psalm 128. And as Kristen covered, he says, 127 is about growing, thriving family. The Lord establishes and builds a house, filling it with children. In Psalm 128, he says that God is the center of life. God is the true head of the home. And this was interesting. Um, Psalm 128 is called the marriage prayer because it was often sung at Israeli weddings, which I never knew. Um, the heading in my Bible for Psalm 128 is the blessings on the home of the God-fearing. And let's turn in your Bibles to Psalm 128 and we'll read it. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the, in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel." And um, that first verse, it says blessed, but it really means happy. 
is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And in this whole psalm, God sends blessings when you fear the Lord and walk in his ways. He will reward your devotion to him. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Psalm 119.111, I love this. I just love this verse. It says, Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. And that's how we are as Christians. We're taking this heritage that God's given us, passed down to us. And John Phillips says, A heritage is something we inherit. The most priceless heritage we have is the Bible. Nothing can compare to it. And that is so true. I mean, we would be lost without the Bible and what God says to us. Psalm 119, 112 says, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. And the Amplified Bible said, God's laws were given to free us to be all he wants us to be. They restrict us from doing those things that will cripple us and keep us from being our best. God's laws are guidelines to help us follow in his path and not wander onto paths that would lead to destruction. Our life must have proper boundaries. As its, as its center is the Lord, so its circumference is the law, his word. The limit set by God himself. Some things are out of bounds. There are places we should not go. Some books should we, we, we shouldn't read. We must draw the line where God draws a line. We will find happiness only inside the circumference of God's word. Outside it, we will find guilt, fear, and sorrow. Blessed is everyone that walks in his ways, not our ways, not the ways of a particular crowd, not the ways permitted by a godless, humanistic, sinful society, but the ways spelled out by God. That is the secret of the Lord's blessing, a proper center and a proper circumference to life. And I think that's so important. I love that he said that because that's what we're teaching our kids, what the proper center is and what the proper circumference is to life. And that's what the Bible does. And he gave this analogy of a camera. And he said, when you're taking a picture, you want to make sure that the picture is in that little box. Because if it isn't, you're going to get a blurry picture. You're not going to be happy. And um, But if you get it right in the center, the picture is going to be clear. And that's our lives. If God's the center, the picture is going to be clear. And same with our kids. And we need to pray for our kids that teach them the word, as Christian, Kristen said, that one day they'll ask Jesus in their heart and have the Lord as their center. and Because they won't be happy without that. That's the only way they'll be happy. Um, Gigi Graham, Billy and Ruth Graham's daughter, said this, The word of God is a living word. It is the person of Jesus Christ himself revealed to us. Psalm 119 says the word cleanses, strengthens, delights, teaches, saves, comforts, directs, and gives understanding. What a resource. I'm so grateful that I was taught early to use this resource, to draw strength from it, to use it in seeking direction and guidance, to employ it in times of discouragement, disappointment, and, and loneliness. For whatever life holds for you and your family in the coming days, weave the unfailing fabric of God's word through your heart and mind. It will hold strong even if the rest of life unravels. And I love that. I think that it's so true. Um, and now let's go to Psalm 128.2. It says, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. So this is the second time God's saying you're going to be happy. And he says, When you eat the labor of your hands, and Warren Wiersbe says this, God will bring you enjoyment in your employment. And what he meant by that is so that your work will be a blessing, your work will be a ministry and not a drudge. You'll see it as a ministry from the Lord. And then the next part says, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Happiness is the most elusive commodity in this world. People spend their lives pursuing it. True happiness cannot be divorced from God. Peace, harmony, and order have their center in God. And I wish I would have known that when I was growing up. I wasn't a Christian. And, you know, your center 
Your happiness depends on your relationship to God. Um, and then now let's go to Psalm 128.3. This says, Your wife shall be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. And that reminded me of John 15.5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. But the other side of that is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as moms, we can't be a mom in our own strength because there's just too much to do. As Kristen said, if you abide in the vine, then you can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. And um, you've heard the saying, a mom's work is never done. Moms get tired. Their job is physically and emotionally and spiritually hard and is a lot of the same thing every day. But we need to remember that God chose you to do this job, and he will give you the strength to do it. John 15:16 says, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And um, our job is way beyond our ability. We can't do it without the Lord. Right. Anyway. Um, and I thought that was neat. It says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you. So he gave us this job of being moms. Uh, Ruth Graham had a quote over a kitchen sink that I love. Have you guys heard this? It's divine service shall be performed here three times daily. Have you guys ever heard that? It's so cool. Let us not forget that every task, no matter how mundane, if done from our hearts to the Lord, is indeed a divine service. And, you know, washing dishes is definitely mundane. <laughs> but it's just neat to see these jobs that we have as a divine service. Um, in the middle of the laundry and dishes and all the sleepless nights, up with your kids, driving them to school and events, in the hard times and the good times, he will meet us and not leave you to do the mom job by yourself. I love this devotion um, when my kids were little, the four kids. It's by Gigi Graham. She had seven children. And I loved her book because I just couldn't believe she had seven children and she was still alive. So I'm going to read this devotion. I really loved it. It's called Even This. And this verse is so good. My God in his loving kindness will meet me. Though early morning is not my best time of day, after a couple cups of coffee, I manage to fix breakfast, wash the dishes, and usher seven children out the door to school before, before heading for the laundry room. Anybody here have seven kids? No? Yeah, God bless her. Um, I stopped abruptly at the door, gazing in disbelief at a mountain of dirty clothes that represented a minimum of three loads of wash. Hadn't I just washed three loads yesterday? Sudden tears of frustration stung my eyes. I quickly brushed them away, ashamed of myself, and put the first load in the washer. Then I continued to tidy up, picking up the morning newspaper and various cups and glasses left from snacks the night before, wiping a fingerprint here and there, straightened beds, and collected odd socks and shoes, school papers and books. Soon I found myself in my son's bathroom scrubbing the tub. Once again, the tears insisted on imposing themselves against my will. This time, they found little resistance. I was frustrated and discouraged, and my self-esteem was about as low as it could get. It was still morning, but I was tired. Can you relate to that? Weary of the mundane routine that made up my day and characterized much of my life, I was tired of the same mess day after day, washing clothes that only yesterday I'd folded and returned, to their proper places, of wiping sticky fingerprints from the windows and mopping the same floors again and again, of doing the dishes only to get them out for a short time later to reset the table. I was sick of spending hours cooking a meal that was consumed in minutes. Sitting in the middle of the bathroom floor, sponge and cleanser in hand, tears streaming down my cheeks, I found myself crying and praying all at the same time. God in his loving kindness came to me, Quietly and clearly, I heard him say, Whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. Matthew 25, 40. She said, Lord, even this, especially this, who else is going to do it for me? In all these small ways, you are serving me. Reassured and encouraged, I dried my tears and continued to scrub the tub for him. And I love that because the mom's job is like that. You get discouraged, you, you know, 
here we go again, more wash, more this. Um, Elizabeth Elliot had one daughter, Valerie. She was a pastor's wife and was raising eight children. This, these are my heroes. I thought I was going to die with four. So um, she was feeling overwhelmed one day by all she had to do, and she called her mom, and her mom said, I'm going to read you this poem, and it's called Do the Next Thing. And it says, and I'm only going to read one stanza of it. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt have its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, and guidance given. Fear not tomorrow's child of the king. Trust them with Jesus. Do the next thing. And I heard this at a pastor's wives retreat. And I was so blessed because we can't do everything, but we try. I go from room to room in my house and think, there's something to do in every room. And I get, like, stressed. And then the Lord reminds me of this. Just do the next thing. So it's just such a blessing for a mom when you're feeling overwhelmed. Just ask him, Lord, what's important for me to do today? So my daughter Hannah gave me some funny mom quotes to read to you. And I think mom's got to laugh. A merry heart does good like a medicine, says Proverbs 17.22. So these are all about laundry. So um, has anybody, did you guys do laundry before you left tonight? How many did? I did. I'm always doing laundry. And my kids aren't even home. Now I'm by myself and I'm still doing laundry. I hate to tell you that. You never get away from the laundry or the dishes. But um, so these are, these are the funny things. Um, some days I amaze myself. Other days I put laundry in the oven. And I think it's funny when it's, I amaze myself, <laughs> because you think someday you're doing pretty good, and then you do something like that. And this one's the best. I hope I can read it without laughing. First kid, one laundry basket. Second kid, two laundry baskets. This is a great one. Third kid, laundry couch, laundry coffee table, laundry mattress, laundry as a comforter. <laughs> And fourth kid is named Laundry. <laughs> I thought that was great. I get tired of doing laundry. Um, the next ones are about being sleep-deprived as a mom. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, one time my one daughter got RSV, and she coughed for six weeks straight. And I was up all night. I, I don't know how I did it, but for six weeks straight, I was up giving her a nebulizer, you know, and she was on prednisone. She was two o'clock in the morning, she was asking me for bagels, you know? <laughs> so I'd sit up and have a bagel with her. But I remember about the fourth week, I thought, Lord, I, I can't do this. I'm like a zombie, you know? But I did. You know, you do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So these are the sleep ones. This is great too. Should I sleep or should I shower? I could sleep in the shower, but I'm also starving. <laughs> Which I thought was so funny. Because that's true. You can't, you don't have time for anything. Uh, when I had my fourth child, I started talking kind of strange. Like I called them by the wrong names. I mean, it was so crazy. I think I was so busy. I, I don't do it now, but my daughter... <laughs> My daughter started writing them down, the things I said, and keeping a list. And then when people came over our house, she'd read them. <laughs> and they would laugh their heads off, you know? It was so crazy. So tonight, Joanna's going to read a couple to you, because I can't do it. It's too, it's too funny. Well, I hate being in front of people, but I do have to say I deserve to do this because I'm a fourth of the reason why she said these things. And also because we had enough guts to write them down and mock her like it wasn't our fault. So we not only wrote them down, my sister had a notebook because we were so convinced we were going to fill the whole entire thing up, but God let us lose it. And Hannah found it recently. So these things were said with like, so much sincerity and direction, too, right? So <laughs> to Hannah and Josh, while well, Mike and I, the teenagers, so I'm 10 years older than Hannah, eight years older than Josh, so we were no help in any of these situations. To Hannah and Josh, up the steps. Brush your teeth and put your seatbelts on. <laughs> 
down the steps early in the morning to um, Hannah and Josh. Your lunches are in the dishwasher. <laughs> um, sure, you can get a dollar out of my dishwasher. <laughs> um, let me see. Oh, this is one of the most epic ones ever to my brother Mike at dinner. Don't cut your chicken before you butter your knife. <laughs> and then the brain damage carried on after she babysat my twins after they were born. And to my brother in a restaurant says uh, about my daughter, he's trying to hand her a menu to play with. And she says, don't give her that. She'll get a paper burn. <laughs> so this is my public apology. So let's go back to the um, Psalm 128, verse 3. Um, your children like olive plants all around your table. John Phillips said, this describes us, this describes for us an aged olive tree almost through, surrounded by young and vigorous shoots that have sprung from the roots of the parent tree. Thus do good and affectionate children gather around the table of godly parents, becoming the joy and rejoicing of their hearts, the stay and comfort of their own age. And that is so true because when our whole family gets around the table for holidays or something, it's just such a blessing. And usually we say, who's going to pray? It's the grandkids. And their prayers are just a little taste of heaven. It's just such a blessing, your old age. That's one thing that is a blessing. Um, John, Third John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. And as parents, we fail at many times to give guidance or exemplary faith to our children. But even in our failure, God fills the gaps we cannot fill and blesses our children. We were and are not the perfect parents. I love Psalm 2710. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Chuck Swindoll said about his home that it was a God-fearing home. He said, I learned early to respect his name. I learned to approach his word with a spirit of wonder that still overtakes me today. And when I read that, it just made me cry. Because you moms that are raising your kids in godly homes... You are so blessed, and your kids are so blessed. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My parents were um, Catholic, and they loved God, but we never heard the Bible. We never heard Bible stories at home. We never heard about being born again. So I didn't know the Lord till I was 17. I got saved in the Jesus movement, and when I asked Jesus into my heart and felt his presence for the first time, I thought, wow, this is just, I wish I would have had this when I was little. I wish I would have known his word. I wish I was born again. So you guys are just so blessed. Don't take it for granted that you, you have a Christian home. It's, it's just awesome. Um, I'm really blessed that I see my kids now teaching their kids to love Jesus and the word at an early age. It's just such a gift to me because I didn't have that. Um, one of my granddaughters came over one day and with the mom, and um, they were spending the night, and we went upstairs, and she said, do you want Grandma to come up and pray with us? And she said, yeah. So we went up there, and they have a routine. They... they um, recite their Bible verses first. She said, Grandma, you want to hear my Bible verses? So she recited her Bible verses, and then we prayed together. And it was just, I, I just was so thankful that God let me experience that because I didn't have that when I was a kid. So do that with your kids. Pray with them. And she was so excited about telling me her verses. It was just, it was a gift. They're a gift from God. Um, I was listening to this Katina song called Waymaker in the car the other day, and I just started crying because I was doing this study. And the words were, he's a waymaker, promise keeper, miracle worker, light in the darkness. And I thought, you know, as moms, we go through so many things with our families. And we have to remember that, he, as Christian said, he is in our midst. He's the one that's taking care of our kids. And um, 
Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. We need to teach our kids to be able to experience God's presence, that there's nothing like it. I didn't have that growing up. And if, you, if you're teaching your kids that, they won't want the world. There's nothing like God's presence. So um, Matt's going to put the song on. And while you're listening to this, think about that. What are the things that you need to give to God? You know, do you have a prodigal? You know, is there something you're going through? Because God can take care of it. So he's going to play this song. I'm so grateful for his peace and his love. His peace that surpasses all understanding. No matter what the situation, God's grace is sufficient for you and I. It never, never runs out. For he's a way maker. He's a miracle working God. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of I don't know about you, but I feel his presence in this place. Let us become shoulders he's the one he's the one that saves our kids we're just as Christian said Kristen said we're showing them our relationship with Jesus but we can't 
make them come to the Lord, but we can show them that we have a personal relationship. Um, here's the mom quote. Um, to all the moms out there, thank you for being you. I want to encourage you to not try too hard to be a perfect mom. There are none. Just be the mom who God created you to be and roll with it. You are a hero, and your name spelled upside down is wow. <laughs> I like that. I think it's true. Okay, Psalm 128.4. We're almost done. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed, happy, who fears the Lord. And in that, um, in the Hebrew, both those words happy, both those words blessed are happy in verses 1 and 4. And fears there, it means, in verse 4, it says, See, this is the blessing of the worshiper of the Lord. Thus shall the man be rewarded who reveres the Lord. In verse 1, it says, Happier is the worshiper of the Lord. Blessings all, all who reverence the Lord. Happy is everyone who reveres the eternal and respects the Lord. Now, I think sometimes as moms, we get so bogged down with our responsibilities and dishes and all those things that we forget to be a worshiper of the Lord. And when you worship, God just puts everything in perspective. And... Um, I found this quote I really like, too. It says, Don't forget that being a mom is a holy calling gave to, given to you by God. Think for a moment of how many people could be influenced by just one child reared to love and serve the Lord Jesus. The potential of faithful, God-fearing parents is unending. The very thought should cause us to reverence our job and be grateful to God for the great privilege he has entrusted to us. Just one child. Um, and I love this article, and it, it, it's a little long, but I thought it's something that moms struggle with. It's by Focus on the Family, and it's called God Made Us to Be Perfectly Imperfect. And you heard the Christian, the quote, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Well, it's just moms are the same way. So this says, God made you to be perfectly imperfect. As believers, we have been made perfect in Christ. Our sins have been erased, and we have been made whole in him. You are perfect in his sight. God created you to be exactly as you are, with all your strengths, weaknesses, quirks, and imperfections. He intentionally made you to be the mom that your kids would need. Think about it. God could have given your son and daughter to another mom, but he didn't. He gave your kids to you. He knew that your, your kids would need the perspective, life, and love that only you can offer. You are the perfect mom for your kids. The world may tell us that we need to live up to certain expectations of perfection. God's expectations look entirely different. It's important that as mothers we focus on his ideals of perfection and not the world's. Focusing on him can bring us peace and directions as we mother our children. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Even with God at your side, we will face stress and challenges as we parent our children. We will question our worthiness as a mom. Remember, God created you for such a time as this, and he created you to raise your kids with passion and purpose. God created you to be unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He designed every nuance of who you are. You are perfect to him. Lean into God as you walk along this wonderful journey called motherhood. Trust him to guide you and what is best for your kids. Remember, you are the mom your kids need. You are doing a great job at being a mom. The important thing is that you get up every day and keep going. You keep loving your kids and showing them that you are present. And you are demonstrating the steadfast love of Christ by doing this. You are being the mom God created you to be, and that's what makes you the perfect mom. And I love that because we always are so down on ourselves. You know, we always are comparing ourselves, and um, I just thought that was a blessing. And um, another thing that was on that um, that I thought was really neat, imperfection has an expiration date. The Bible helps us to be real realistic about life in a fallen world, but it also gives us hope for the future. God is preparing a perfect creation for us and our children, free from sin and suffering. 
I love the way God describes heaven in Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. Raising children this side of heaven is hard, but we can look forward to God's new creation where there will be no reason to feel guilty, anxious, or afraid for our children anymore. As well as preparing our children to navigate life in this fallen world, let's encourage them to look forward to heaven and put their trust in Jesus, the only one who can take us there. And I love that. Just have your kids look forward to heaven. Um, I think a trap that us as parents fall into, um, Psalm 128 talks a lot that, you know, the fear of the Lord is reverence and trust, including the hatred of evil. But if we fear God, we shall not fear anybody else. And I think as parents, we compare ourselves a lot of times to other parents, and that's why you think you're not doing a good job. And um, I read these two quotes that I think are funny, but 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, Comparing themselves among themselves, you're not wise. Because then you're not doing what God tells you to do. You're kind of under this pressure of, I have to be this perfect mom. So this quote was pretty funny. It says, um, feeling like you're the only mom who thinks she's a failure is all too common. You take a look at social media and see kids in perfect outfits enjoying Pinterest-worthy birthday parties with perfectly dressed moms that look so together, and you always wear sweatpants. And I thought that was great because I'm a sweatpants mom for 42 years now. <laughs> um, the other one was pretty funny. I've never done this, but maybe somebody has. Um, strange thoughts invade our thoughts as moms. Thoughts like, you know, I bet that woman down the street never lets her kids eat chips from between the van seat cushions because she forgot to pack snacks. <laughs> And that made me laugh because my kids, I always had French fries in my van all the time. Because, and my youngest, we say she was raised on McDonald's and in the van because we were always driving to sporting events and everything. But I think that was funny because it's so true. We're always looking at other moms, especially the ones that seem to have it all together. And they said, but you don't see the meltdowns and car seats coated with goldfish cracker dust. And that's true. I'm the social media, you only see the great stuff. Um, isolation is one of the biggest contributors to discouragement. Get connected with other moms. And that's what you guys are doing here, is getting to connect, connected with other moms. Um, one of the other th reasons we feel like a failure is the devil. He's always telling us that we're not good enough. And um, Romans 8, 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we have to remember that. And when, you know, when he tells us these things, you just have to go to the word and, and then he it never fails to stop him. Um, Psalm 128.5, the Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Uh, John Phillips said, during the millennial age, Zion is to be the center of all political power throughout the length and breadth of the Lord's worldwide empire. The nation's deciding issues will be made under the smile and approval of God. Can you imagine that? All the decisions being made by God? I can't wait. Uh, what a word for our land in this dark and dangerous hour. And this is the last verse, Psalm 128.6. Yes, may you see your children's children in peace upon Israel. Billy Graham's wife wrote this, and to me, Ruth and Billy Graham are the perfect parents. I mean, they have to be. But this is what she wrote. I hope to be here when any of my grandchildren or grandchildren need me. From my vantage point, I can look back on circumstances involving my children, situations I once felt were hopeless, only to see in disbelief and amazement as God brought order out of chaos, light out of darkness. I will follow their struggles with peace in my heart. Battles may be lost, but God will win out in the end. We gave them to him, each one uniquely loved, each as dear as the other, our most tre treasured possessions. As each little family builds its nest, I shall be watching with interest and love, concern at times, but concern undergirded with confidence, knowing God is in control. And um, my husband and I have four children, and they are gifts from God. Joanna's 42, Mike is 40, Josh is 35, and Hannah's 32. So that makes me super old. 
Um, but I've been a mom for 42 years, and it's gone really fast. And now God has blessed our children with children. We have seven grandchildren and five in heaven who we can't wait to see. And God has blessed us to see our children's children. And I think my kids are so much better at parenting than I ever was because they have been raised as Christians. Um, I keep these Christian poems and articles all the time that I like. And when I was told to do this study, I was kind of looking at different things through there. And I found this handwritten letter, and it's in your packet. Um, it's not handwritten in the packet, but um, it was from a dear friend of mine years ago. Her parents wrote it, and it was written hand with just handwriting, but we you couldn't read it real good, so we typed it for you guys. But... Um, this, my friend loved the Lord so much. She was such a blessing to our family. She went to be with the Lord in 2016. She was older than me, but when my kids were little, she helped me so much. She was a wonderful Christian lady. And um, she feared the Lord and walked in his ways. And I just think this letter is so awesome because it shows that when you do fear the Lord and walk in his ways, that you're going to not only bless your family, but your friends, too. And um, let's read it. It looks like this. Everybody get it out of the packet. This is so neat. Her mom wrote this to her and her grandkids. It says, Beloved Dad and I have made our last will and testament to properly dispose of our material possessions. We are compelled to leave you a spiritual legacy as well. The greatest inheritance possible. It is our heart and life's desire that our legacy to all of you children and grandchildren will include that of godly training and example. There's one more thing we wish we could leave you all, the salvation of Jesus Christ. With this, though, you had nothing else, you could be happy. Without this, though, you had all things, you should never be happy. The material things we leave you will ultimately have to leave also. The eternal and spiritual contribution will abide forever, where if thieves do not break through and steal, neither moth or rust corrupt. Beloved children and grandchildren, take heart and think of the crown that is yours in eternity. Be faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ until the day when we shall see him face to face. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be your comfort and strength, and please be a good example to your children as leaders of your homes and churches. Where we failed in any way, please forgive us, and may the Lord forgive us too and cleanse us with his precious blood. Amen. In closing, we leave the following with you, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and that when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Revelations 22, 21. Till we meet again in heaven, your loving, and your loving parents and grandparents. Can you imagine getting a letter like that from your mom? I just think that is just really a treasure so the last thing we're going to do is play one more katina song and it's about verse eight it's about your children's children so matt's going to put that on hey i know this world is crazy but jesus is still on the throne and we choose life over death we choose blessing over curse face. 
Thank you. I love the end where he they says, when you're weeping and rejoicing, he's for you. We have to remember that as moms. He's for us. He's, he's cheering us on. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you're for us, God, that, Lord, you're the one that's involved with our families, Lord. It's a threefold cord, Lord, and it can't be broken, Lord. And as Kristen shared, there's so much the enemy's trying to destroy families right now, Lord, but you're, you're greater, Lord. Lord, you are awesome, and you are a way maker, Lord. So I pray for these moms that they would be warriors, Lord, that they wouldn't get discouraged, and they know that you made them perfectly imperfect, Lord, that you've given us this job, and, and you're going to equip us to do it, God. So we just love you. We praise you. We thank you for saving us, and we pray for each child that's represented here, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, Lord. And we just pray in your name. Amen.